Hello, I'm Henry Raby. I'm a poet and I'm sat in my bedroom. I've spent a lot of time in this room over the past year, flanked by two giant stuffed bookcases, a pile of gifted stationery, an often unmade bed, and a window out to a rainy, freezy, wintry York. These are the Say Out But Stay In tapes. Conversations with poets recorded in January 2021 during the global coronavirus pandemic. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Say Out But Stay In Tapes. This one's slightly different to the others. It's one solid chunk of conversation with the mega legend that is Hannah Davies. Hannah is a playwright, a writer, performer, sayer of words, doer of stuff, maker of things, straightforward northerner and no-nonsense mum of one. Hannah's been quite ill over the past year. It's nothing related to covid obviously made a lot worse by the current desperate situation of this absolute batshit world. So we talk about health, we talk about staying creative and passionate, and we talk about the cool, awesome live gigs that we did over 2020. And at the very end, Hannah does a little poem for you folks, just for you, the podcast audience. Aren't you so lucky? So yeah, hope you enjoy this absolute chat with an absolute ledge. All right, mate. Anna Davis in the waiting room. <laughs> and then she's in the Zoom. I'm in the Zoom room, baby. That never gets old, does it? No. I do that at every one of my um, seminars, <laughs> my Zoom seminars. Whooping and wailing. How are you doing this morning, Hannah? Well, afternoon now. Well, it is morning for me. Um, how am I doing? So yeah. I know that's the biggest question <laughs> in the world these days. I mean, yeah. Do you want the long answer or the short answer? No, I'm all right. Today I'm all right. I've hoovered my bedroom, so, you know, I can't be that bad. Okay. That's nice. You've got some, some CDs up there, some nice folky CDs. CDs, mate. They're not CDs. What's a book? Oh. What? Where? Oh, maybe this is books then. There's books. There's loads of books. That white thing there. Yeah. Oh, put it on. Little disco lights. <laughs> oh! Essential oils. Now it's a Zoom party. <laughs> God, it's close to other... clubbing as we get nowadays. Is he up for a little chat then, mate? Yeah, man. Let me just shut the window because it's a bit cold. Sure thing. You're wearing some washing machine repairman branded clothing. I am, yeah. It's my bedtime t shirt. I decided today that when this is all over, I'm going to go to Beamish. <laughs> yeah, I saw your tweet. What? I tweeted as such. I thought, yeah, I need something to look forward to. What's a lifelong dream I've always had? Oh, I've always wanted to go to Beamish. What's Beamish? On my list. What's Beamish? Yeah. Henry, you don't even know what it is, and you liked my tweet. It's not tweet. for me, it's for the listeners, Han. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, this is a bit of making you edit, is it? I don't know what Beamish is. Beamish is like a fake, um, it's, it's like a pretend... It's like a living museum of uh, of Victorian England. Mm. I think it's Victorian. So it's like you get to go to the mining village, spend a day there, dress up in the costumes, go to the schoolroom, you know, be a washerwoman, all that shit. It's like if you're into your heritage and kind of escapism through history, then you'll love it. Okay. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a Google. I have heard of this place. I've always it's wanted what... to go there. I think I was a little girl. My brother went there on a school trip once and I was, I think I was about six and I was so jealous because he got to dress up, you know, and he hated it because he's a massive introvert. But I was like, yeah. 
Well, you get to go and pretend to be in the olden days. That's amazing. You get to go and pretend and play and, yeah. Yeah, That's exactly. Nice. True escapism. I mean, it's a shame about all the workhouses and Dickensian <laughs> kind of austerity measures, but hey, we're not that far away from that these days anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, why don't we just go into a museum of the 2010s and... <laughs> yeah, in fact, it's a bit of a busman's holiday, isn't it? Fuck yeah. that, I'm not going to be mission I'm going to stay here. <laughs> so, podcast voice. <laughs> okay. I was in a Zoom thing, as I sometimes am, a few weeks ago, and it was a theatre makers thing that was hosted by Derby Theatre, and there was loads of conversations about time, right? Not everybody, but the general consensus was that things are going so slowly, like, oh, I can't believe Christmas was like, oh, it feels like it was yesterday, slogging and slugging and 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 grasping to the next day my experience has been the opposite things just feel like they fly by they whiz by it's like uh, that Douglas Adams quote I I like deadlines I like the sound of them whizzing past me and I've sort of struggled to keep up with um because that involves being online like all the opportunities and the things out there and getting things done and it, and it just feels like oh okay that's that's happening that's done what's been your relationship with time is it one or the other is it a sort of mixture of this sort of holding for me it's like trying to hold on to sand it just go gets away from me yeah <laughs> yeah I think that's a really interesting thing to consider actually I think when we're in crisis and trauma which I think that's something that we sort of overlook at the moment we are in a collective trauma and we're all having to deal with shit we've never had to deal with before yeah, the, 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 our sense of time and our sense of future projection of ourselves and our identity and our lives and all of that stuff, it, it becomes warped. And I think I was already having an experience like that anyway before the pandemic kicked in um, or became a thing because I was dealing with a health issue that is kind of taking me a very, very long time to recover. So I'm sort of in my second year and it may go on for some time. So I was already having a bit of a warped relationship to time. So for me, I think it's really slowing down. It's like, um, but at the same time, I'm not one of these people who are sitting around doing jigsaws because I'm still able to work. So I'm still a- I'm still having to get up and, and do Zoom calls and run seminars online and all that stuff. So my job at university is is that. So I've got a really odd relationship to it. So some, on, the, on the one hand, everything's kind of going on as normal. But on the other hand, there's nothing going on. Mm. Um, but I suppose I found a bit of relief in that as well, because... You know, if I was feeling frustrated that I was missing out on certain parts of my life from being ill for so long, actually, there's nothing that I can miss out on now. So there, there is that sort of hidden blessing of it as well. So that kind of is a uh, silver lining, I suppose, to it all. It's collective trauma. Mm. It's almost like the elephant in the room, although we are obviously acknowledging the global pandemic and death rates, but it just seems so little as individuals we can do and even as a collective like there's only so many people you can get together to change something because it's just this giant thing so it feels really hard to uh, know how best to to move through this this collective trauma that we're all facing so we have to mm. find like these little things to pass the time or we have to commit to work or we have to shut off from it because we just don't have the mechanism or the the tools to to grasp it I suppose like we can through poetry and writing but something that I found is like I'm I'm still living through it I yeah I, I can't write about it because I'm I, it's like I'm in a tunnel 
I can see the light on the other side. I know that this won't last forever. You know, the 1918 mm. pandemic, you know, didn't last forever. But I don't know how long that's, this tunnel is. I don't know how long till I'm out of it. So I can't, I, I feel like I can't write about a thing that I'm sort of in, in the dark about. Have you no, I always that, anything? Yeah, sorry, go on. Tom. Yeah, no, I'm just, sorry to chip in there just to pick up on that. Yeah, like writing and responding to stuff that you're going through. Um, I always say to my students, like, you know, if they're interested in writing about a part of their life, that they should be writing from scars, not wounds, you know, write, write from stuff that's had, that's got a layer of scar tissue over it so that you've got some objectivity because, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is setting yourself off and triggering yourself and, and digging into your own traumas. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all in a wound at the moment, you know, we're all separated from our loved ones, we're all got insecure financial and work situations, you know, our mental health is taking a battering, we're all having to homeschool um, in isolation and deal with, you know, the frustrations and challenges of that. Um, and the whole world has sort of snapped and gone wrong a bit. And it's just like everything is up in the air. It's it's very scary time. So to then add, put an added pressure to be like, oh, quick, write about this, respond to this, mm -hmm. digest this. You know, we have to, as human beings, it takes a while for us to process stuff and for our brains to kind of move through a trauma. You know, we can be responding for this for years, maybe. Mm. I mean, there's going to be a whole isn't there, post-pandemic art thing. I was really surprised, actually, because I did think that maybe a lot of my playwriting students at the moment might kind of write plays set in lockdown and none of them have and I thought that was really really interesting because it's it's quite interesting to see the trends of what play topics they write about there's recurring ones over the years yeah none of them have gone for pandemic plays which I thought yeah that's really interesting you you all had this up to your eyeballs you, nobody's got anything really sensible to say about it yet so I've used that the term we've got to be fragile and flexible um and about about programming more than more I than... thought that was like a new Henry Raby credit card. <laughs> hey, flexible, <laughs> fragile, flexible friend. <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted to ask, I guess, like as a single mum, as a feminist, yeah. as someone I always think as an all round legend, as a legend, <laughs> grade A legend, a, a, yeah. a machine of awesomeness. Um, God, do I don't you feel like a machine of awesomeness at the moment? I tell you. Do you, do you feel like you've had to balance this, like allowing to be fragile and to be worried and emotional and uncertain with like being tough? I mean, I've just had to accept my own fragility a lot, again, because of health reasons. And which is really difficult when your whole identity is built on your ability to power through and get shit done to then suddenly be like, oh, I actually don't have access to those reserves anymore. So the whole shift of, of that was in flux for me anyway. And then the additional layer of kind of acceptance of 2020 world. Homeschooling's tough. It's going better this time around, actually. Max is kind of, he's in his GCSE year. So he's um, mm. he's actually pulling his finger around doing quite well. But, you know, I've had to set some boundaries, which some days I'm good at keeping up on. And other days I'm a bit slack. Anyway, I've gone a bit of a tangent. What was the question again? Having to be tough and cracking on and getting stuff done with I think we think toughness is toughness but I think real toughness is fragility actually I'm coming to realize I don't think you can just live a life on cracking on and getting shit done I think you have to engage with your fragile bits and the tender bits and the bits that hurt and the bits that are mm. less than awesome and brilliant if you if you don't then they'll come and get you at some point anyway so you might as well do it as you go along 
how have you found because you know you've you've got you've done a few sort of short stories it's a little bit more prosy stuff I've, I've seen mm. coming out of um Casa del Hanna actually I've started a, yeah I've been doing a lot a bit more prose and stuff and I've actually started um I've got really I've, I've developed a new way of writing which is really interesting to me and I'm not getting enough time to do it at the moment which I'm again is a thing that I'm just having to accept but I've started using a, a dictation app so I'll go for a walk with a dictation app and write as I walk you know verbally so like um, just storytell um, and then at some point later on I'll, I'll find time to download the um, text of it and then I've got this rambling first draft which is always full of errors and stuff because dictation apps aren't perfect um, but you get like a sort of a sense as a because the bit of, the bit I like about writing is the editing. I'm quite resistant to first drafting. Um, so I, it's been really nice to find a different way of getting the material to then cut and paste and swap around with. It feels like it feels like somebody's already done the hard bit for you. Um, so that's been really fun. And that's something that I've sort of come across in this last year. And I don't think I would have come across that. You know, it's also the added thing of like going out for a walk and getting out of the house a bit of pardon me excuse uh, um outside time and alone time and change of scenery which is nice so that's been good but in terms of you know I've just taken the pressure off I've just like gone well you know if you're not going to write anything you're not going to do anything that's fine just don't do it but then having said that you know I have done a couple of nice jobs as well I've done um I worked with pilot theatre at the end of last year to do a project called Northern Girls which was really um inspiring and that was you know how lucky we were to get a live piece of theatre out at the end of the year um so that was brilliant and also you know we've got um my theatre company have got a working on a commission from Dolby Forest as well so I'm not writing that but that's kind of ticking away in the background as well so there have been like little artistic moments I feel quite lucky that I have had them but yeah I miss doing gigs and going to open mics but then I also like God, we didn't know we were born. You could do two gigs a week and then an open mic and go to the pub and do a turn just cause. And it was like, all of that's gone. But it's such a, when it's such a huge part of your identity as well, it's really difficult to deal with, I think. And then you have to kind of rebuild like your own sense of self-worth and achievement and all of that stuff. I, I mean, obviously we live in York, which is so full of solid open mics and mm. you know arts events anyway <clears throat> really fortunate and what I miss I, you know I've, I've been in a couple of zoom events um and it's great that they're happening but people don't stumble into a zoom event you choose to go to a poetry zoom so it's a very specific audience mm. and what I miss hearing you talk is thinking about doing something at the uh, um I can't I remember it. Where's the pizza place on a Sunday night? The hop. The hop. <laughs> yeah. Going to the hop and like, you know, everyone's sort of chatting, having a Sunday night, yeah. and then and then saying, oh, poet's gonna come up. But like, you know, doing a good job of it and proving that poetry is mint and getting people engaged. And I'd like to talk about our, the live gigs we have done because it, it sort of dawned on me when we did those in August mm. and December that the people in the audience might won't have engaged with any live events for months and months and I was fortunate I went to uh, Northern Girls and it was like food for the soul uh, to mm. sit in the in the cold breeze of Scarborough and listen to these beautiful powerful monologues with a roaring fire but there are some people that haven't gone to anything for coming up to a year um so yeah I guess like actual live gigs so we did She Growls in February which feels like a billion years ago. <laughs> 
and then we did York Theatre Royal um, uh, patio in August. Yeah. And which I always feel like is, why don't you do that all the time? <laughs> it was great for great fun, like to just yeah. Yeah, like just shut the theatre, the man. Keep the patio open. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. The August gig, it was like, yeah, because what a grueling summer it had been. It reminded me how precious those moments are and how precious gigs are and how precious performing is and how precious sharing is and you know not to get like but it really is like and we didn't know we were born did we before it was like oh oh I don't know if I can do that gig oh yeah I might do a thing or you know we became a bit like overprivileged about it and kind of like indulgent and like "Mm," maybe a bit like "Mm, I've had a bit a bit much of performing and what's the point anyway and a bit like underwhelmed and not, not all the time, but then, you know, having it taken away from you, then you suddenly realise what that is and what that connection is and bringing people together and sharing stories and how powerful it is. And then, so then to be able to do it in August was just, yeah, awesome. It was incredible. But it felt, I remember it felt really odd because obviously it was outside. It was outside, really lovely pop-up space that the theatre had made. But it was sort of outside in a quiet city, like the streets all around were sort of a bit, still a bit desolate and a kind of, you know, so it felt like a really... Yeah, it just felt really alive and sort of vibrant in, in this kind of slightly dead city, which was really odd, I think. And I guess such a tiny audience of just under yeah. 30 people, it almost feels like it was a secret just for us. Yeah. And like, no, like, yeah. you know, and um, which, you know, there's no one's fault. You've got to have a limited capacity. But I guess was so, I'm and, and it because it sold out, like from my perspective as a promoter, didn't need to promote it anymore. But there's always an element when you're putting on gigs that you want to shout about it to the rafters and get people in and get a crowd. So although it was yeah. intimate and that was nice. And I think also like physically, it's so weird. It was so weird for me to get up on a stage after so many months and like my my body, the adrenaline, the energy. I had to really yeah. like be aware of that. Yeah, I was I, actually I remember I, I'm thinking back now, you're jogging my memory. I remember being very nervous about that gig because I hadn't been on stage or doing anything since February. And that's the longest in my life that I've not done anything for. February, March, April, May, June, July, August, that's six months. So I was like, am I still gonna be able to do this? And also I was like, do I still, is this still the thing I do? Do I still, you know, is this this still my thing? Am I still got a buzz about this? What if I get up there and I don't like it and all of that stuff? Then obviously when I did and it was fine and I loved it and it was great. And it was like, oh yeah, no, this is really important. And actually it's really important that people like us are still doing these things, not to be like, heroic about it but fucking hell of all the times like people can do a thing that can bring people together then please do it <laughs> some people i've chatted to in these podcasts and so they didn't they have actively chosen not to put events on zoom or when the tier system in the in the intervals between lockdowns have had the opportunity to put something on live they've chosen not to because they knew they wouldn't get that same vibrancy as yeah. uh, uh, under normal circumstances and that's something that I guess we talked about a bit for our December gig, December gig you know wanting to make sure it was solid and entertaining and enjoyable and I think we succeeded I think it was really really meant and that was good but it's so odd to think you have to have those conversations of like how can you ma- like we always talk about how can we make something the best possible but now we were talking about how can we make it just the bare minimum of our expectations mm. of like a really strong gig yeah, it was. Uh, the December gig was was great. I mean, that was, you know, brilliant. Really, really good. 
and really big room full of people but yeah it felt so massive that room didn't it because everyone's so spaced out that was I was really like that's so, the, the sort of hustle and bustle of, of gigs has gone you know that sort of sweaty humanness of it is gone it's all gone very polite and sort of you know jazz bar hasn't it like it's all a bit <laughs> It's all a bit like, oh, yes, yes, I approve, which I kind of, you know, what I used to love about gigs was that sweaty humanness and the sort of ramshackle spit and sawdustness of it. Yeah. I, feel, I really miss that. I, re I really miss that we can't be humans together. Ah, we'll get there again. Do you make New Year's resolutions, Hannah? Have you thought about going into 2021 or is that dangerous territory? No, I don't, I don't do resolutions. I think they're a load of shit. But <laughs> we did, I did choose a word for this year. Yeah, our household each chose a word that they wanted to channel throughout the year. So my word was centered. Okay. So yeah, that's what I'm holding on to throughout this year. Like, but I, yeah, I'm going to remain centered where possible. But I think it's like I said this to uh, my son Max the other day. And he was like, you know, it's really difficult for, for actually just to go off on this tangent because he's um, in his GCSE year, he's 15, and you know that they're sort of coming into well 16 now actually but coming into the age where you sort of question everything and and you question you push back against like your boundaries and stuff and he sort of realized that you know the world is is bullshit really you know you get fed this kind of narrative of like oh you have to do this and schools this and work and, and jobs and, and institutions blah and then over the last um 18 months all of those things have have to sort of re been renegotiated so that people his age are kind of going well you know what's the point why should i do i have to do that and, you know it's that why should i tidy my bedroom when the world's on fire sort of thing um but I was talking to him the other day and I was like, well, yeah, the world has gone wrong and it is a stupid place to be and everything, but we have to create our own little world in this house that has meaning and it has sense and it has, um, you know, and some weeks are harder, easier than that than the other, but I, we've, we've got board game night booked in tonight, we've got Monopoly and uh, Hey, That's My Fish and yada yada. So, um, hey, that my, hey, That My Fish is a banger. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually, it's, we've got um, a running tally of, of who's who's um, <laughs> current champion for that in the household. Yeah, it's good. Love that little game. Um, um, so, yeah, the idea of being centred and kind of taking control of the things you can control, because there's so much out of our control at the moment. So it's about really about getting very small and very local again, isn't it? Can you hear Max singing in the background? I can't. No. What's he singing? Bangers. Bangers. He's just, um, he's learning the guitar, so he's mm. he's singing a heady mix of <laughs> Morrissey, T-Rex and Oasis. <laughs> I like one of those things. Yeah, Morrissey was an odd one. I was like, really? Are you really going to bring him into the household? Okay. He's a teenage boy. I don't yeah. know. If Morrissey's audience isn't teenage boys, what is his audience? I don't know, I like one of the, some of the Smith stuff. But T-Rex yeah. is like, that was what I was raised on, so... And also, I like dinosaurs, so it's all. You do like dinosaurs, don't you, Henners? When I was chatting to Mab Jones, she was like, "Oh, I went on the beach and I found a little piece of a dinosaur." And I was like, "Go on, <laughs> really? hello. Tell me more about this dinosaur bone that you found." I could do a poem. I'm going to do a poem. I'm going to do. Um... Well, I'll give you a choice. I could do a poem about baths or a poem about charity shops. Oh, I do love the charity shop poem, but as they're sort of closed at the moment, but baths aren't closed. <laughs> My bath isn't closed. 
That's my housemates having a bath. Yeah. Your bath, bath is bath. not closed. What? My bath. Well, the charity shop's on. The bath's on. Although I have started oh, right, volunteering yeah. in the charity shop. It's yeah, let's do charity shop. I yeah. really miss charity shops. Like, honestly, it's one of the things that I miss most in yeah. the yeah. lockdown. Because there's there's uh, two charity shops near where I live. And often I will just go and have a little browse. And I've found some fucking great things in there. And that's kind of what this poem is about, really. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of people miss the charity shops. When, uh, in when my I, house, charity shops are called chazzers. When I was volunteering uh, the other week, we went up to like the back room, and you know, like the tat of uh, a charity shop, like little teapots and yeah. jars and bric-a-brac little section, bric-a-brac, yeah, like little pictures yeah. of boats, just like <laughs> just wadges of them, like a like a barricade full of of. Bric-a-brac, the bric-a-brac barricade. Oh, that's a mouthful. That's my little warm-up technique. A bric-a-brac, bric-a-brac barricade. That's a great um, warm-up penners. Bric-a-brac. Well, I've, good thing we did this podcast. I've got, I've got a str- solid new. <laughs> Nothing else. You got a great tongue twister out of 2021. I'm just going to shut my door. Banging. Let's hear the the. Well, they called chazers. Chazers, yeah. So this is a a poem about charity shops, a.k.a. Chazers. I find my peace in Chazers. I seek them out in strange towns, meandered back off the high street in wonky step-up shops with rattling doors. Inside, the women, like a gang of crocheted bumblebees who've lost their sting, sip at the porcelain pollen of too sweet tea. Always too many for what the retail tasks entail. They crowd round counters, pass bags, check tags and numbers twice, ring digits gingerly into tills, then come up with a price and a there you go, dearie, or they call you duck or poppet in ways you'd never take off others. But these women's words heal the hurts of the fast outside. They are like soft toffees from a mantelpiece. I find my peace in chazers among the dusty rails of old jumble sails, a hundred mismatched bits in an outcast state, bin-bagged stacks of worn-out dreams, junk and jewels and nonsense, shelved and hung and organised in shape or style or colour, tarnished tat and jaded suits, shadowed with decay and grief, Whispers of clear-outs, clean-ups and lives lost or discarded. But stay sharp among the mess and you will find a flash of joy. And for pennies, it is yours. My best finds include a cotton dress, long-loved and frayed, a brass Buddha at a steel, a handwritten love letter hidden in a Salman Rushdie novel and an overcoat that makes me look and feel like a brave revolutionary. I find my peace in Chazers. And they are not the best china of thy town, but they'll do just fine for me. I collect their patchwork aimless chats, sung and mumbled in vowels just off the lanes, thick with the grub and smell of what means local home round here. A simple, bye, Eka, like that coat. Or, Maureen, does this polish smell too claggy? A man stands by the till and gives a blow-by-blow account of the bestest way to install a ceiling fan. You've got to mind the motion won't drag at the plaster, you see. And today, in one in Whitby, the best thing I think I've ever seen, 
a battered yellow fold-up chair put out by the door for weary souls, stuck with a handwritten note that reads, rest and be thankful. Simple moments we must always remember to take. I hope we're protecting these Maureens. They're like national treasures. <laughs> yes, they are. They Maureen with a, with a can of Mr Muscle for pledge. <laughs> <laughs> really lovely, Hannah. Cool. All right, mate. Thank you so much. You're a mega legend. Hang in there. I'm sending you a big hug. Thanks, mate. Sorry, I, I went into a little bit of despairy stuff then. Um, That's all right. Don't have, you know, we're all, we're all skirting around despair on a daily basis, I think. But just don't give into it. Me and Charmander say goodbye. Uh, me and Polly Dolly say goodbye. <laughs> there she is. Classic. I, I recognise that from the poem. That's the yeah. poem in the piece. <laughs> Bye, Hannah. See you later, mate. Lots of love. See ya. Bye. Hey. Hey, podcast listeners. Normally, when you listen to these podcasts, you might notice a little bit of Nice, cool music by Drooligan coming in. And I do a little sum up of the conversation. And then I say, see you later. And that's the end of the podcast. And you can either listen to another one or you go about your daily routine. But this is a bit of a different podcast. It's slightly different. I'm going to do a poem as well. I'm going to do one of my pieces that I wrote over, over lockdown. If that's okay. If that's all right with you. You can say no if you want to. My aesthetic is scrawny midday nerd. My aesthetic is boy doing a 14-hour shift in Games Workshop. I've gone for the strained Warhammer intern look. I am the last-minute geography substitute teacher. I am the piss-poor YouTube channel. At the party, I am the podcast enthusiast in the kitchen. I am the two-chili plant gardener, the Netflix and Watch Next curator, whispering, don't ask me how I am. I am the mask wearer who fears, how do I say thank you with my eyes? The sidekick to the sidekick. I am overambitious with reading lists. My aesthetic is unwashed hoodie bought in the 2010s. I am clipboard activist with no responses. My style is soggy labour canvasser in York Outer. Percy Shelley minus the drugs. Lost in the woods hunt saboteur. The working class lad in the toilets crying at university. The, hi, is anyone feel X, Y, Z on social media deleter? I have the same vibe as characters from 90s US TV getting grounded. The innocent until proven guilty schoolboy in detention. I am the doom scroller. Doom scrolling isn't as cool as it sounds. My hair is mop-top, thorn-bush crown, duck's ass, unscissored, stodge. I am the midnight Facebook refresher, the reluctant volunteer, movement ally level 10. My floor is a 3D printout of my student days. If allowed, I turn my camera off in Zoom meetings. First world solitary confinement POW. I am millennial Steve McQueen. I am alarmness. I guess I'll have a shower. I'll reply to that message later. I am the untipped, unstrained waiter. The timeless Ben Gunn waiting for rescue. I am the one the taking advantage of the scheme Telegraph article warned you about. I have metamorphosed since March. I am not the same Henry who saw in the 2020 new year. I am changed. I am affected. I am mutated 
tempted. I am so much more and lesser. There is another Henry, the other side of the uncleaned mirror. That Henry is doing really well. That Henry has gone on a tour. He has a new job. He has shaved this week. My aesthetic is scrawny, midday nerd. Thanks, folks. Hannah is on Twitter. She's at Davies Words. And she has her own Facebook profile page where she shares her poetry. You can find Sout on Facebook and Twitter. You can find me, Henry, on Facebook and Twitter. Please check out the other Sout but stay in tapes. Music supplied by Drunigan. Stay safe. Stay well. Bye.